Welcome to America's most livable city. Please ignore the invisibles with me. See Pittsburgh, we built its economy, but we still need the nation in black poverty. Welcome to America's most livable city. Just ignore the invisibles with me. And state your business, because the place you live in depends on your race and privilege. Hello, everybody. Welcome to What Black Pittsburgh Needs to Know. I am your host, Dr. Cheryl Hall-Russell. And I am joined as I am. It used to be every week and now every other week by my, uh, by my colleagues, Mr. Jasiri X, who is a co-founder and CEO of Wanted Media, and Dr. Jamil Bay, who's the president of the Urban Kind Institute, who was nice enough to come and join us on his vacation. We are just off a, uh, a presentation, Dr. Bay and I, where we told people not to do what he's doing now, which is to interrupt <laughs> their vacations with work. <laughs> but for this particular conversation, he could not resist. So here he is. So thank you, Dr. Bay. We appreciate you coming in. I'm happy to be here. So this is important stuff happening. It's going to impact all of us for years to come. And so we need to talk about it. We're going to get to some policy issues around the city county council. I know that doesn't sound like a, like a super sexy topic, but it's stuff like this that Black Pittsburgh really needs to understand because it, it will impact your day to day, how things are done. Uh, it, it power shifts in, in city government, what those could actually mean at, at the community level. So we're not here to just necessarily go in on politicians. We're here to go in on what they may be doing that impacts us. And that is, that is a very, you know, significant difference. I'm looking forward to that. But before we jump in with our guest, uh, Felicity Williams, what's been going on in the last couple of weeks? What do we need to catch up on? Oh, um, well, you know, we, um, One Hood Power hosted a uh, mayoral debate um, yesterday that was pretty spicy. Uh, so <laughs> shout out to you. a call. What happened? On, uh, oh, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it was it was pretty, you know, you know, Moreno came, you know, obviously ready to kind of throw shade or dirt or however, however you want to say it. Um, and, you know, you know, Ed maintained his cool, kept his composure, you know, stay stayed on his message. But, um, um, yeah, you can go to One Hood Power or uh, um, One Hood Media and watch the replay. Um, it was it was super interesting. Um it was up, you know, we have a, a space, a new space now where we're hoping to um, begin to do our podcast in a different way. So it was the first one that we did in that space. So shout out to E-May um, for coming in and recording it for us. And of course, always shout out to uh, Gary and John for uh, making sure it was on, you know, Facebook went down yesterday. So it came up like right before <laughs> we was able to get it on Facebook. Uh, right. For you guys. Oh my God. Cause we're also doing an education conference this week, um, uh, around, um, we're, we're debuting a documentary, uh, on Friday, uh, that we did with the organization called allies for children, just about, we interviewed 50, uh, high school students about, um, distance learning, mental health during the global pandemic, uh, the protests, the elections, how all of that, you know, affected mm -hmm. their um, education, but ultimately, like, what would they like to see changed, and what were some things that they would like to see added to the education system? And so that that's going to come out on Friday. Um, Piece in particular, yeah. what do they think? How do they feel that they can navigate better and learn? I'm I'm dying to see that. Before we move to the next thing, you know, shout out to Ema. He he, you know, hit it out of the park again with a couple of of Emmys. 
uh, doing his thing. Yeah, so proud of him and his work. Me too. And, uh, you know, they want to continues to work with them. Yeah, I got something coming out, and uh, I get the disc and the family playing, right, Ime? Um, anyway, <laughs> I can try it. So that's pretty cool. All right. What else has happened to Dr. Bay? What what have we missed? You and I have both been like, Phew. Yes, everywhere. I don't know. I don't know what we missed because we've been covering everything. Said, um, what was this? When you said the uh, candidates forum, you know, got a little spicy. I'm only imagining, you know, you, you have a, a former police officer who are, are well versed at pushing brothers' buttons and you know how to say and taunt. To get British to it. <laughs> and the fact that Ed, Ed held his own and held it down and did not take the bait, you know, that's, <laughs> I'm sure that was a part of the strategy coordinate. But, uh, well, what we did, uh, we see our COVID numbers and, and we see what's happening. Um, you know, the hospitals are full and, you know, see those same messages. You know, a lot of schools now are rethinking how they're going to approach the rest of the semesters. Um, and it, it's still down to mask wearing, social distancing, washing your hands and vaccinating yourselves. You know, all of these things that are prolonging this. We have, uh, passed what 700,000 folks in the country died COVID. That's and, an and, number when that we get that one, that just to calm this, almost the, the lack of like massive human cry. When you talk about, I mean, I, I can think about the 9-11 numbers and, and just how we continue to mourn, you know, those people that we lost and it seemed to break our hearts. And then you turn around and you lose 700,000 and we're kind of like, you know, that's just nature. Shit happens. I mean, that, that's what it feels like to me. It's it, like a shit happens moment when, really? you know, all of us, I don't know if any of us did don't know somebody who died. So it, my first cousin a week, what, two weeks ago from this. You, I mean, you compare the population from where it was, you know, with the beginning of this pandemic, so December two years ago, and right now, what is it? It's now it's almost one out of every 425 folks who were there then have died of COVID, not, not to mention the cancer and the heart disease and car accidents and other things. One out of every 425 people who were alive two years ago are no longer alive because of COVID. That number is crazy. Is, is it higher for, for black folks or is that, is that a national average? Is it, no, that's, not, that's a national number. And I think the number for black folks is one out of every 200 and something. I, I'll get the exact. Currency percentage is higher. Right. It's a, it's a much higher percentage. Right. And so this is, like you said, this is black and brown people for the most part. Yeah. You know. and, it's, and it's almost like we kind of resigned ourselves to just live with it. I think that that's kind of, people are just like, if I get it, I get it. You know, I hope to kind of push through it. <clears throat> and I think that's where we kind of resigned ourselves to. And it's, it's, you know, it's an unfortunate situation, but it seems like people are kind of getting back to normal. You know, I will just, um, in San Diego, I mean, restaurants were crowded. Like people are, people are kind of, you know, so I, I feel like people have just kind of moved on and I, and I don't see a shutdown happening anytime soon because the effect of the, of the economy, you know, um, right. One of the things I always look at, um, and I know I noticed your alma mater, Dr. Bay, you know, the Penn state had its whiteout game 
uh, a few weeks ago, there was 109,000 people in the stadium. And just what does that mean in terms of ticket buying, buying all the stuff in the stadium, the restaurants, oh the God. bars, the hotels, the flights? There's just so much money um, that I don't think we're ever going to see anything like a lock now or even um, something that says only a certain amount of people can get in. I just don't think we're going to see it again because what is you the know, this after all these games? You know, what is the, what is the COVID bump after this? You know, I, my kids are pissed. State. I said, I wish you would. You won't be going to miles for two weeks. But, you know, there's got to be. I was looking at Michigan State, at Penn State, all these massive stadiums. And you know it's happening. The transmission, I don't, I don't know what kind of contract tracing they're doing or how they'll be able to do it. But, my goodness, even outdoors like that, they got to be. It's pretty fascinating. Sprint. Why? I just, one of the other things I wanted to mention before we got to that, and I apologize because I, I'm, you know, I'm old. I gotta say it when I remember it. Not only are we conditioning ourselves to this, we have folks fighting. Was looking at, did you see that clip from New York City where there was a tent yes. on the sidewalk yesterday, yes, yes. and they were doing testing and all of this, and yes. these people just descended on the test site, and it was some black men. Man, they were tearing down the tent, and it was. And in front of cops, the cops were just like, okay, you need to stop now. But nobody was arrested. They just let them attack these people who were doing testing. Yeah, I mean, that's the, you know, the pushback against vaccine mandates. But just like you said, these people were, weren't giving no vaccines. They were just doing COVID testing, which COVID testing. nobody hopefully should have a problem with somebody that's just doing a COVID test. You know, I was in Mexico. You got to get a test to come back in, into the country. Um but, you know, you know, the pushback is against these vaccine mandates because, you know, New York City, um, um, I think their largest healthcare provider basically said you have to be vaccinated by a certain date or people get fired. Yep. The, um, I think they I think the, the city employees have to be vaccinated. There's a lot of pushback against that. Similar stuff's happened in California. I think California just did a uh, for the schools, like all the students coming back. Um, I have to have to be vaccinated. So I think the pushback is against what people feel like is the forced thing. But just like you said, the COVID testing person, they, they ain't got nothing to do with <laughs> back then. It's like, wait, whoa, what's happening here? That's what I'm saying. I thought that was weird. They're like, they're just testing for COVID. They're not administering no vaccine. Leave the COVID testing people alone. Because duck. Because Ralph Wilder just said, you know, it's mandated for Allegheny County employees. Everybody has to be tested by December virus. So, you know, but I read an article that said there's a lot of hell being raised about this and all these people threatening to leave. 20 percent of them that are going to leave. And when it gets down to it, usually it's 5 percent or less actually walk away from their jobs because they're they're having to have other vaccines. They have always had to have other vaccines, you know, uh, TB, you name it. If you work in a hospital, it's all that testing is always already necessary. And most of these people are not walking away from good paying jobs. Yes, because I, I, I heard it's I heard I heard a stat that said I think because um, they did it with the teachers in New York that now ninety six percent of teachers are vaccinated. So, right. like you said, I mean, if it comes down, I mean, you know, we still live. I mean, you still got to pay rent. You know what I'm saying? I mean, all the YouTube videos in the world. I mean, unless that's what you do, <laughs> you can do all the research in the world. And what is it going to mean when the when the rent comes due? So I think yeah, people are kind of and you really going to die on that hill. Literally. There is there is one story I know before we bring Felicity on that I did want to mention because I thought it was very important. And that was the one about the inequity in lending 
to black residents. And I think it's important because, you know, last, uh, um, um, our, our two weeks ago episode was specifically around why black people are leaving Pittsburgh and a report came and, you know, you know, uh, of course a report, uh, uh, a study came out a, a few weeks ago about the easiest or best places to buy a house in Pittsburgh was in the top of it. And of course, you know, our mayor tweeted it out like he, like he always does. But then, of course, this story, um, and because even despite the fact that it's it's relatively easy nationally to buy a home in Pittsburgh, our our racial homeowning gap is super large. This is the information that Dr. Bay presented on the show as well about how we have one of the largest racial gaps when it comes to home ownership. And to me, this was probably one of the reasons why, where this report came out that said between 2007 and 2019, out of 12 billion in home loans less than 7% went to the city's minority residents. What's, what's the top number good? How many billion? 12 billion. It says during a 13-year study, Shadyside received more than a, just Shadyside, received more than a billion dollars in bank loans while all of the city's minority neighborhoods combined saw just over 800 million. And there were a number of lenders that had never given loans, not one. And that number was huge. Black it was like five hundred lenders that had never given any money. It was, I think it was like five hundred lenders. I think the top uh, lenders were PNC and Dollar Bank that were actually, you know, funding uh, black homeowners or you know, or potential black homeowners. Then there's another layer to that. The, that same analysis showed that black mortgage applicants looking to buy in black neighborhoods or denied. And so you could buy outside of your neighborhood and you look at where who actually did receive receive a loan to buy in Homewood or in Beltsuver or in the Hill. It was white. Right. So I'm just saying, think about that. I mean, I, you know, this is, this is not, um, rocket science right now. I mean, how best to gentrify is to deny black people their ability to even buy in their own neighborhoods. But but also, I think as we get into this next subject, this is where we need government. See, this is where government can come in and say, hey, look, if this is how you're going to, if you're not going to lend to our black residents, you're not going to do business in our city. Like this is where government can come in and begin to protect and serve if, if, if we want to be livable for everybody with the fact that not only don't they, but then if you probably looked and seen who was funding a lot of their, their um, candidacies, it's probably a lot of these lenders that are then turning around and denying uh, the ability for black people to even buy a home in the community that they live in. Uh, and so I think as we go on to this next subject, it really becomes what are uh, 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 the political people doing um, to protect and serve the black residents of Pittsburgh? Not much. Lenders and and developers alike. You 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 follow the money. Follow That's the an money. excellent segue. And <laughs> is it is so at the at the top of the show we talked about some of the changes and the proposals that uh, that are being put in front of city council that could really result in some in some power shifts and some policies and practices that can, you know, really impact us. So we have asked Felicity Williams to come on, who's an attorney 
and really a, a strong racial justice advocate. So we asked her to come on and help us, you know, go through these policies. This, this stuff is, is complex, but we need to get it down into bite-sized pieces. And Felicity does an amazing job at doing that. Welcome, Felicity. Hey, everybody. How are you? Hey, Felicity. I'm doing great. You know, you got us talking. It started with starting with a tweet, like so many things often do. <laughs> You got one of those, what the hell is going on tweets? And we were like, uh-oh, Felicity, let, let me dig deeper. And she did. We were like, ah, we got to talk about this. So how's it going? You feel free to win on what we've already talked about, but then we're going to get into uh, into more specifics around some of these policy changes. Uh, I'm doing well. You know, obviously, uh, Pittsburgh is never short on activity. Uh, you guys talked about this before that you did this show and you thought, ah, this will be something that's real short lived. Maybe we'll do a couple sessions, but she's like, weeks. guys have content. You were doing it every week. And I mean, even now reducing it to every two weeks, you guys still have a ton of content. So um, all of that keeps me busy. I'm never short on uh, things to do. So <laughs> ready to jump in and, and get talking. So what got you excited? Of, I'm not excited. Well, I don't know. Excited is a good one. What got your attention, your alarm, the alarm bell start banging when you saw some of the stuff that was being presented in front of, in front of city council? So I am actually, um, uh, you know, a policy nerd. So I do get excited about reading legislation and different ordinances and things like that. So that's, you know, it's an appropriate way to describe that. Um, but really, it started with two pieces of legislation. And now it has kind of morphed into four pieces of legislation now. So uh, three ordinances and one resolution. Um, those four pieces of legislation, so you have two that would amend our zoning code. Now, you mentioned this at the beginning of, the, of our talk here. Um, talking about city, city uh, laws and legislation may not ever be sexy. Uh, the zoning code is probably even less sexy, um, but <laughs> it is really, really critical to how development happens and what development happens in our neighborhoods. Um, so there's two, as I said, pieces that address that. There's the resolution that declares um, housing as a human right. And then there, the third uh, piece of, uh, third ordinance, excuse me, fourth piece of legislation, third ordinance, that would give city council approval of certain uh, executive uh, directors, bureaus and offices in city government. Um, so they currently have power for the head directors this to to do a, approval right this would give them power for uh deputy directors assistant directors and or chiefs and a couple other numerated positions but we can get into the details of that in a minute high level overview this is what has really gotten my attention and is some interesting things unfolding in our city uh politics seems like um housing as a human right is the kind of nice kind of yes let's recognize that and then you smooth that over all the rest of this stuff that, that really can't be jacking up a lot of stuff. So, so let's get into the jacked up part of this. Um, let's talk about the resolutions about, let, let's start with the easy stuff and then get into the zoning code. That's a little bit more difficult. Why should we care about city county council approving uh, those other layers of leadership? Yes. Um, so you should care because it's a, one, it's a change. Anytime there's a change, you all, we should care, right? We need to look into why are we doing this change? Is this the best change for our city? First and foremost, I want to say that um, shifting some power away from the mayor to city council is a recognized power sharing structure in our region. 
you look at uh, communities like Wilkinsburg and some, you know, areas in our suburbs where they have a very strong city council uh, and their mayor has very limited uh, powers and, and authority. Uh, the city of Pittsburgh has not operated that way. Uh, and so this particular um, piece of legislation, this ordinance, would increase city council power and oversight over who are the staff uh, really leading these different areas of our city government. So, for example, Department of Finance, Department of Human Resources and Civil Service, Department of City Planning, Bureau of Police, Department of Public Works, and the list goes on. You guys kind of get the idea of uh, who it is. And really, when you think about it, um, it is really this, the role of this staff to, to carry out, uh, you know, the, the agenda for the city, right? That is, that is their role. And so what you have now is you are interjecting council. They already had approval power for the, the top leadership, the heads of these bureaus, offices, and departments, right? But they are now getting additional oversight, input, and review on um, the folks who fall right below them. So still leadership, but fall really right below those individuals. Um, you know, I think I'd like to look at all legislation in this way. Like we talk about this kind of in the legal field. So this is like equal protection. This gets, this gets super nerdy, right? So we're talking about like equal protection jurisprudence. We talk about things that are facially neutral, but have a disparate impact. That's how I like to look at all policy. All policy, and let me, let me say all policy, because there's some that's just very blatantly straightforward, uh, disparate impact. I mean, we know what it's about, right? But for the most part, policy is facially neutral. There's a disparate impact, meaning how it is implemented, um, who implements it, all of those things matter. And so I want to take that approach, even with this particular piece of, of legislation, looking at the fact that here are, some, here are some, some challenges that it could create, right? So it, we could talk about the fact that this gets more input from the nine districts, right? They are responsible to all of their constituents in the nine districts, give them more input and oversight in that direction of the city agenda. On the flip side, what does the order some challenges? Here are some challenges, right? Uh, it may deter folks from applying. It may be hard to do recruitment to fill some of those positions because now they have to go through a, a political approval uh, process. And what if they don't get approved, right? What if you relocated for a job or you've left a job or whatnot? Uh, we already know that there are some city vacancies right now. So people have left city department heads um, are taking other positions. How do, we, how do we fill those seats? And then there's just the sheer fact that this does shift power um, from the mayor's office to uh, city council. That part right there, that part right there. Uh, Dr. Bay, let, let, let's, let's sit in that for a minute. What are you thinking about that piece of it? You, had, you were just here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking about how, and I said, this is not what Felicity said. This is me understanding what she said. This adds another layer of political power and influence to city council. And so what it does effectively is if you want something approved, you have to now come and curry favor with me. And so in addition to the, the checks and oversights that city council already has, it now makes it necessary for you to come and kiss my ring, proverbially. And, you know, I, it, it go, I go back to how when, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the vice chair of the land bank. Seven years ago, when we started the land bank, there were three city council people who were opposed to a land bank. 
uh, Reverend Burgess, Daniel Lavelle, and Teresa Kell Smith, who appointed themselves to the land bank. Wow. And seven years later, we have not transacted one property. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars spent another land bank because as we were studying this, the best practices of every land bank in the country were to not allow elected officials to sit or appoint people because you're introducing politics to the process when you're trying to most efficiently and effectively clear titles. There's no need for in my district type of oversight. Hey, I can block you. I don't support this. It pollutes the process. And, you know, Reverend Burgess in particular, this is his model. This is, he likes to do these kinds of things because it gives him power and authority. He sees himself as I'm the smartest person in the room. I know what's best for my constituents. This is my opinion of him. He's, def- he's not said that, but his, his, his approach to politics is I've been elected with this 30% mandate uh, to tell everybody in my district what's best. Rather than let career people who know how to move land, who know how to process these things, who know how to do zoning, who know how to do their jobs, you know, it introduces that you have to come see me element to city government. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, one, I, I agree with Dr. Bay. I agree with Celeste's comments. I think at, at, at the least of it, it's here where, you know, when you looked at the um, Democratic primary, um, every city council person except one supported our current mayor. Um, and so now, so it, it was like, okay, it's fine. Like when the mayor is in office, cause another thing that, uh, um, um, our councilman Burgess did was also, um, now they're talking about having an independent solicitor. So like when your man, your boy is the mayor, you can use the Pittsburgh city law department. You don't have a problem with the people that he picks because you're, you, that's your man. You know what I'm saying? When somebody else wins, now you don't have that. Now you want to introduce stuff so you have more power. And then I think at its, at its, at its highest, I mean, to me, it, it also looks like white supremacy. It, because um, it's looking like, face. We, right, it's looking like we're going to have, for the first time in history, a black mayor. So, you know, like I said, I agree with Celeste. Like, okay, so now all of a sudden we're going to get a black mayor. Now, Pittsburgh, which has historically had this strong mayoral, um, 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 you know, I, 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 I get right. um, electorate. I don't know what other word to use. <laughs> we have a strong mayor system, right? Right. Now, a, 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 a black man could possibly be the mayor. Now we want to try to take power away from him in terms of who he can put on, you know, who he can bring forth. Um, um, and that's a gut punch for me. Right. And, and, it, and it, it is also fascinating because, you know, you also have this, you know, there was this black Pittsburgh black elected officials supposedly also have a group to come together. So it is fascinating to see um, uh, this, you know, there was this group and we're thinking everybody's together and it's like, oh, I don't, I don't have a problem with Ed. It's just that, you know, he had a, you know, he, he, him and Mayor Peduto had some type of agreement. And then, you know, when, when, uh, you know, when, when Ed Ganey wins 
the Democratic nominee was like, oh, we're going to put all our support behind that Ganey, you know, Mayor Peduto came out, oh, you know, whatever you need, we're going to make sure you get elected support. And then now all of a sudden, all that change, we're going to put all our support behind you is different now. And now you want to put different rules in when a black man is about to come into office. So now, like I said, that to me looks like, oh, is this white supremacy? Is this because it's somebody black now that you have to now try to put checks and balances? Because then what happens is we're not able to do the things that we want to do in the manner we want to do them. And then you want to come out and run against us and say, oh, well, you did you weren't able to do what you said you were going to do. Right. You know what I'm saying? They have to the power away. It's like, and then like, why didn't you do it? Right. It's like he's like our Mitch McConnell. And remember Mitch McConnell, when, when, when President Obama came in, basically said his job was to, to do anything he could to stop. Nice, uh, very well. Right, with President Obama's agenda. And so now here comes Gainey. He has a different agenda. And we elected him because he had a different agenda. We didn't want to see the same. We were tired of lip service around Black issues, lip service around, you know, uh, while we kept falling into deeper economic despair to the point where we have to leave the city in thousands. You want to do commercials talking about equity, but we didn't see any real policies when it came to equity. When you put your budget out, there's no, there's no money there for Black people. Oh, we're going to try to raise it over here. Don't raise it over there. Put it in your budget if we, if, if we matter to you. And so that's right. how it looks like to me. It looks like now all of a sudden you want to try to take power back and it, it becomes like the, the Peduto Democrats, you know, now mad that, you know, they man lost and they want to try to take this power. And so we're editorializing now. It's a listen, if you want to jump in before I make my point to bring some sanity back. Not, not that this is insanity, but you're definitely in a different mode now. Because the, 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 the messed up thing, that the, the really effed up thing about this to me, one of them, is that, right, we, we talk, you talked about, you mentioned, you know, uh, potential mayor, likely mayor, Ganey, has a different agenda than Peduto. Uh, Ganey is still is a solid Democrat. You know, in his behaviors, in his action, that's that's who he is. One thing that we were hoping to see from him is, okay, can you be more deliberate about some anti-gentrification policy? Can you be more deliberate about some community benefit agreements? Whereas the folks who are in city council now and Peduto's agenda, that was never demonstrated. And so what we're hoping for, so when you're talking about, wait, we need to be able to check and vet your people so that they fit who, what we, our model, the people, you know, the 30%, the 28% of, of Ricky Burgess's district that approved of his behavior, and is the only 28% of his folks that approved of him. You look at the, 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 gentrified, the gentrifying nature of his vision of the city, the lack of community benefit agreements in Homewood and the Hill that are, community benefit agreements at scale to stop some of this. They're looking at the same models for community development and, you know, and they'll cite them in all of these other cities that have failed at making sure that people could stay in their communities in a dignified way. That's the part that's frustrating, that you're not willing to say, okay, how do we support you in your vision? 
rather than, no, you need to come back to us. We need to control you. So I mean, I mean, that's the zoning. I mean, Felicity, I wanted to bring you back in because it, they're talking about uh, codifying this in, in, in zoning changes. Um, so can you explain a little bit of that to yes. I will say, let me jump back in here to talk a little bit about first, this first piece of legislation, this first ordinance for the approval of this city, you know, executive leadership. Um, so I think first want to note about status. So I think this is important, right? For the, for the people to know where this res it's not been passed, right? Where this is in the process. So right now it's awaiting recommendation from our current mayor. He has until October 14th to make a recommendation uh, to city council. So it will not come before city council uh, prior to that. Um, if he does not make a recommendation, then this never, this never goes to city council, right? Uh, and it's never voted on. So I do want, you know, to be clear, he has not made that recommendation yet. I suspect that he will take a lot of time to think through uh, a recommendation to this piece of legislation. Um, and it's unlikely, I would think, that we would probably get uh, his recommendation until probably that deadline. But isn't the way the rule works, if he doesn't do it, then Burgess can? Right now, the way that this particular letter was written, uh, it needs first a recommendation from, uh, if you read the letter and the legislation first needs a recommendation from the mayor. So. Okay. Well. Let me jump into the next. Go ahead. Go, no, no, go ahead. I was reading something else that they talked about that waiting period, but that it can't come back up through the council. And that's what I was concerned about. Because I'm not sure the mayor wants to burn his, you know, I don't know what he wants to do. He may go ahead and approve it, but. I don't know. If there's another way to get around that, I got a feeling they're going to. But please jump into the other the other pieces of this. Certainly. So we talked about the zoning code. So let's jump into a little bit about what's uh, happening here. So first and foremost, I think I'm going to start with um, the, the affordable housing impact statements. So this would amend our zoning code to require uh, affordable housing impact statements. Now, this has been co-sponsored by uh, Reverend Burgess, so Councilman Burgess and Councilman Lavelle as well. Basically, what this do, what this would do, would require a proposed development to address um, the impact on housing of the development in the surrounding community. So, information about the types of housing proposed, the targeted market demographics, affordable dwelling units within the development, um, number of dwelling units to be demolished, all of the things that you would think of when you think about what is the impact of housing in a development on a community and a neighborhood. Um, so, this would be review criteria that would be applied to project development plans, preliminary land development plans, final land development plans. So this talks about some things that get very, very zoning code technical, right? So what you said, like I said, breaking some of this stuff down, think um, developments that happen in special areas, like the Golden Triangle, there's a whole, that's the uh, project development plans. That's one of the areas that's designated for project development plans, or you talk about um, these specially planned districts. So Two specially planned districts, just to give people some ideas in the city of Pittsburgh, are the Lower Hill as well as Bigory Square. So when you start to think of what the types of developments these would impact, we're looking at large-scale developments that this would apply to. The second piece of uh, zoning code amendments is the one related to adding a new layer of review um, that would give city council the power to review, approve, or deny certain developments. Um, this one's very interesting. Again, um, you know, this is a big change, right? Uh, in fact, if you look at 
totaling up all the days in this process, it would add, and let me pull this so I can be extremely specific in uh, how many days this would add. It could potentially add 287 days to the process of reviewing a development. Um, and I want to start with this one because, again, as I said, our zoning code is not friendly um, to navigate. It is extremely complex. Uh, it hasn't been updated really comprehensively in over 20 years. So it's certainly due for an overhaul. Uh, but it has been amended, which is part of this is reading all these different pieces together. You have three entities. You have city council. You have our zoning board of adjustment. And I frequently want to say, I had to correct myself because I frequently want to say, because I'm from Pittsburgh, I add S to things. I frequently want to say the zoning board of adjustment. <laughs> Right, but it's only worth adjustment. I practiced. <laughs> and the planning commission, right? For the zoning board and the planning commission are um, boards that are appointed by the mayor the, to those positions, right? That review development, very high level. They have different roles in that process, but very high level, that's what they do. Uh, and so what this does is they would still conduct their review for certain projects. So projects, again, over 8,000 square feet. You want to think about what is 8,000 square feet. Think about six, the size of a six-bedroom house. Now, obviously, we're not looking at single-family homes, but just to give you something that's relatable of the scale of what is, you know, 8,000 square feet. I'm in Dr. Bay's house. Go ahead. The house is Again, these project development plans and then these specially planned districts. So you're talking about developments uh, that apply in those. Um, the zoning board or the planning commission would still do their review. What happens now? So when uh, there is an application that meets this threshold requirements, the, it's the right type of development. The planning commission has three days to notify a member or members of council in which the project is held. So if it's in their district, mm -hmm. they have to be notified. They have three days to do that. All right. That city council member or members, because sometimes it could be two that overlap has 14 days to determine whether that application implicates a significant community concern. Now, this is one of the challenges to this legislation. Uh, it's not defined what a significant community concern is. So it's left up to the council person or council persons to determine whether a project is of significant community concern. And so there's been some back and forth about uh, what city council, you know, what does this really mean? You know, what if someone um, misuses and, and frequently labels something as a significant community concern. It was intended to uh, be very rare. This might be invoked only, you know, maybe a couple times a year. However, again, because there are no guidelines, no standards, it's left up to the individual to decide that this is a significant community concern. Let's say they do. They deem that this is a significant community concern. Uh, the Planning Commission then will hold a public hearing within 60 days. Normally, in this provision, it's 90 days. Another note I want to make. The provision, yes, yeah, so there's a shortened review for the Planning Commission. The provision that we're referring to right now normally applies to amendments to uh, our zoning map, so think zoning boundaries, or text of the zoning code. This provision that City Council, in this, in the, well, let me say, this provision in this proposed ordinance is invoking mm -hmm. a section of our zoning code that normally would not apply to these types of developments, okay? So that's why there's some things to read here, right? You have some existing ordinance that's being kind of retrofitted, right? To or being fitted, I guess we should say, to a certain per to a certain type of development that it normally would not have applied to, and 
this ordinance is amending and adding things to that and changing it, right? So there's a lot to read here. That's why I said it's a little confusing. I'm trying to walk you guys through this. We appreciate it. What this really does. So the zone, the planning commission then has those 60 days, or like I said, shortened from 90, to make a recommendation for either approval, approval with conditions, or denial, okay? If they don't make a recommendation within that window, under this ordinance, it is deemed a recommendation of approval automatically. Previously, it would have been deemed a, rec a, a denial automatically if it did not meet in the 90 window, right? No, not in the 90 day window, it's a denial. Now it's in the 60 day window. If they don't, it's an automatic approval. What? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so why would they do that? I'm not trying to get you to get political. What is the net, what's the net effect? What's the case for this? So what does this do ultimately? Ultimately what it does, it's going to get this recommendation to city council, right? Because then city council, once they get this recommendation one way or the other, it could be a rejection. It could be a, a approval. It could be an approval with conditions, whatever it is, city council is going to get it right. It's going to encourage that. I, I think the intention here, let me say this. I think the intention is because we're adding a new layer of review through city council, that's going to add uh, up to 210 days, right? I think they were trying to shorten because developers do not particularly care for process and long process, right? So if you're already adding 210 days, let's remove 30 to try to, to try to move the planning commission faster, right? I think that was the intention here. That's, what the, that's what's being done. Um, once this recommendation, like I said, approval, approval with conditions or denial, once that is made to city council, City Council has 120 days. This is where that 210 is going to come from, right? They have 120 days to hold a public hearing. Okay. And then within 90 days of that hearing, that gets us to the full 210, they have to give an, a decision whether they are approving or denying the project. Um, now, a little, bit more, a little bit more technical, and I'm sorry that this is so complex, um, but... Come with it. <laughs> so... The planning commission, right? The review criteria that they would use to make their recommendation. It's what would have been used normally. Right. For the type of development that it is. As I said, the zoning code is broken up to, depending on what type of development project it is, if it falls into this project development plan, especially plan district, um, just a site plan review, there's different parts of the zoning code for each of those. Okay. City council, however, as I mentioned, is kind of sitting what used to talk about changing zoning map, zoning map and boundaries and changing the text of the zoning code to now using that review criteria for developments, okay? So you still have the same review criteria at the planning commission level. You have a different review criteria at the city council level. Um, planning commission gives them more what? More control over direct control over projects, over pet private. I mean, how does this enhance their... So what is and, and or in answering that, what broken part of the system were they trying to fix? Were they fixing? Right. So let me speak to that a little bit. Planning commission review and zoning board review tends to be very technical uh, and focused on things like height of the building, stormwater, parking, mm -hmm. uh, how far the building is set back from the sidewalks. All right. So really technical kind of design, land use. You don't really have the opportunity to really uh, regulate socioeconomic impacts. There is a small provision that does allow for that. And I will give 
hats off to our, our current planning commission. I think that they push that to the max to really try to leverage the ability to implement some of the racial and economic justice, you know, things that we care about. But they're very constrained by the law. This particular level of review loosens that up, okay? It gives you more leeway, more flexibility. So for example, in this review criteria, a couple things that really stick out as review criteria that the city council would use, right? The consistency of the proposal with adopted plans and policies of the city. This would include neighborhood plans. So many of you may know that communities are going through Homewood, Hazelwood, the Hill District are going through uh, update and adoption of city plans. They would, city council would now be able to consider what has been adopted as uh, city plans for those neighborhoods and check whether these developments align with that. It talks about the convenience and welfare of the public. These are things that are a little bit more flexible than traditional zoning and planning commission review. Now, this sounds really great, right? I mean, you're certainly, you're certainly uh, increasing community engagement. We've now got two public hearings. You've got a hearing at the planning commission. You've got a hearing at city council. We're increasing right. the time. So, you know, that may give more opportunity for negotiation back and forth. Um, you know, there's all of these things. Again, looking at challenges, this potential legislation is looking at the fact that it dep it's dependent upon who is in the seat, right? And who our city council members are. So generally, you guys talked about best practices early in the meeting. Generally, we talk about policy best practices. It's not a policy best practice that the outcome of the policy is based on who is implementing it, right? We want to create policy that regardless of who is implementing it, the outcome is what we intend, right? Um, this is obviously looking at whether you're designating something as a community significant, uh, a project of community significance, right? Or looking at some of these uh, review criteria even. A little bit more subjectivity, right? And it's really dependent upon- A lot more subjectivity. <laughs> I was being generous. Uh, so on who are in these seats, right? And so these are things that certainly, again, talking about status, this has not been approved either. There has been, um, you know, it's been talked about at city council. The current status is that they sit or report a recommendation uh, to the planning commission that's what they're looking for, and it's still going to have a public hearing. So there's opportunities to play with this, this proposal, this legislation, right? There are some things that I see are some real opportunities with the, with the legislation, mm -hmm. right? Increased community uh, access and engagement. How do we address Yay. Right. We love that. Right. How do we address some of the potential challenges that the legislation brings as well? And how, right. How can we increase, because that was part of the challenge I have when I was on your board, increase the community input using planning and, and, and the folks who were really have been doing this. And like you said, are doing it better than before, but removing some of the, you know, massive implications around the politics, big P on this thing. If this, if this goes through, because, um, this is going to be about relationships. This is going to be about leveraging, uh, that council person. Um, and yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> and I think yeah. I, I was going to say also too, you know, I think it sets up a situation and this is where, you know, I, I look at it. It sets up a situation where, you know, black people are leaving the city, like. 
you know, you could have like the current council people that are there might not be there. Politics change. Right. Politics change. The, 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 the makeup of your district changes. Yeah. Particularly as black people are leaving. Um, and so now you put in, um, these, these, um, roadblocks or you, or you give this, you ship this back to a council that may not even be people that are there to represent our best interests. You know what I'm saying? And I think a lot of times too, all this is done. It's not like it, it, without a real like community conversation prior to. And and that's also to me weird that there, there isn't a community conversation because of whatever, you know, um, the, the councilman's idea of why he's doing this, this is how it looks. Mm -hmm. You know, you might, you might have, you know, a different feeling about it, but how it looks to us Mm -hmm. is like, oh, okay. Duda was in office. It didn't matter. Now here comes this black man in office and he may put black people in these positions. You want to have the ability to say, no, not that one. That's how it looks. You know what I'm saying? Whatever the intention may be. It, it, It would seem to me that if I were in city council and this were my concern, that I would be working on some specific community benefits agreement language that we'd legislate outside of the zoning and planning that zoning and planning would need to, I mean, that's how I would think about work. And, and you, when you look at the giant investments, like not the 6,000 square feet, was, was that the number? 6,000, 8,000 8, square feet. Yeah. But when you look at, you know, what the, the eye care center that UPMC is building, and the minimum community benefit that you got from that. You look at what's proposed and what's been approved in the Hill District, the Lower Hill, and the minimum community benefits agreement that you got from that compared to other cities where they have strong community benefits agreements language in their legislation. That would seem to be, rather than this, okay, it, look, it's, it's, it's codified now, it's in our legislation, here's how you proceed if you want to develop here, rather than this opportunity for you to Okay, come and kiss my ring, and we'll you know we'll make your problems go away. Which again, I'm not saying you open the potential for that when you add that political element to that. I just need to go and do some lobbying, and see what these let you know get enough. I need five votes out of city council. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. It it just seems like you're inviting trouble. So what cannot be denied is that this certainly is another ordinance that would shift more power and or empower, we can say, our city council more. So as you're saying, that 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 cannot be denied. That is that is very true. Right. And so when you talked about, you know, Cheryl, what caught my attention, I think it's like I said, big changes Um, and that I think there's been very little conversation about these big changes. I mean, obviously, city council, which their 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 meetings are open to the public. Yes. They've been having some conversation about it, but it's been kind of shocking, I think, how little other conversation there has been about this. You know, I, I've seen no media coverage, really, about any of this, um, any of these proposed changes. Um, maybe, maybe they're okay with it, too. Our conservative media may be, you know, fine with, with you know, making a, 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 a mayoral seat, which was a strong one, and turn it into a weak one. Um, but there's consequences, you know, uh, if JD wins, he's not going to be mayor forever either. So, you know, they get their guy in and all of a sudden, or their woman in and all of a sudden they chase laws. 
you know, you can't, you can't just go in and change everything when, when your person doesn't win, because there are just longer term implications. And if you're doing something this massive, this is massive changes. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, what, what we're noticing a pattern of over this last couple of years are these huge decisions that both the, the county council, the city council are making and basically saying, look, we're going to make this decision. We'll talk to you about it later. I know you elected us. Just trust us. We ain't going to have those conversations with y'all. Y'all shut up until we're done. And they have time and time again made these decisions and then like, I'm sorry, y'all pissed, but it is what it is. And, and, and then just to go back to what Dr. Bay said, and these are, it's not like the decisions, like, like where are the decisions that are going to be there to put safeguards in place? So, like you said, we're not being gentrified out of this community. Where are the decisions and legislations being made to say, this is what we're doing to prevent the mass exodus of Black people from this city? This is what we're being put in to in, in, ensure you know, black residents have uh, equal access to different things. We're not seeing that. And that, and that's what's also interesting is what type of legislation that we see. But just like you said, you know, Cheryl, this kind of remember when everybody was saying about the, the COVID money, like we need to have more conversation. We need to have more, like every person that was at the public meeting was begging for more conversation. And the council was like, nah, we're going to pass this budget. And, and, and we'll get to that conversation down the road. And I think that's what's problematic about how we see the current council engaging with us as a community. It's not a real type of engagement. Um, and, and, it, and it's interesting to see, you know, if, if, if this is how it's going to be, I think then we have to start making decisions around who is going to be representing us going forward. We would like to be represented. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Felicia. You know, yeah. I was saying, bring this all full circle, right? So some of the stuff you guys were talking about in the beginning, you talked about COVID. I think that, and this is not specific, as you guys said, to our, any one particular level of government or any particular group of elected officials. This is pretty much we're seeing across the board that during COVID, there was this shift to facilitating government um, with less engagement from the, the public, right? Uh, part of that was because we had to go virtual, right? So in some ways, going virtual increased access. So people who were homebound or may have not been able to get around very easily, right? They're now able to log into a meeting that perhaps they weren't able to before. However, those meetings are also very tightly regulated, right? Um, you used to be able to, in a public hearing, you could get up and you couldn't be muted. Right? You know, you were going to get up and say what you wanted to say. The media was going to be there. You could feel the energy. It's much harder to like, you know, do you dirty to your face, right? It's much harder to tell you when you're there in someone's face, not behind a screen. You know, you, you feel the energy, the anger, the frustration, whatever that is of the people. Uh, and we've lost a lot of that in government in general across the board, not just looking mm-hmm. at Pittsburgh. I mean, just in, just in government because we're not having these conversations in person because of COVID. You know, like you can't type in the chat in certain meetings. You have to not just near office. No one there saying, what the heck are you doing? You know, but I, I think we need to seriously get people to understand why this reduced community engagement, what the impact of this reduced community engagement is. We don't just elect people and say, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to come back and have conversations with us. And then we make a decision about what we all want. Um, and that part has just been cut off. There is just this kind of arrogance that this is what we think. We just had a meeting 
you know, last week, the three of us and made this decision and completely leaving the voices of communities out. Or when they do explain it, they don't really necessarily tell you what that, what that shift is. I'm, I'm just, I am, I guess, really concerned but that with the, with our new mayor coming in, what this does. You're spot on, Cheryl. Those are fundamental changes to how we are represented, how we speak, how things get done. And you've done that on the whim of somebody who's frustrated because their candidate lost is what it looks like. These, these were not conversations you were having before. This was in that so-called, you know, lame duck period. You suddenly have these, this flurry of ideas to take control. And in that, there's been no public engagement, public conversation, but that's so consistent with the, some of the members of city council now, the way that they've always done these things. And it's just, it, it's the, as they're amassing power and influence, you know, to the detriment of black folks across the city. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're, we're closing in on our last few minutes. Uh, Felicity, is there, I mean, what should we be watching for? What, um, uh, what should we be talking about or advocating for even? I'm, I'm not, you know, again, we'll leave you out of the, the big <laughs> politics of this, but in terms of your understanding of, yeah. of policy. So next steps is what I like to talk about. What can you do? What I think is becoming what we're doing right here, right? You guys are helping people to become more informed about what is actually happening because, again, in this environment, you know, the COVID environment, government is able to really kind of uh, move things through a lot more uh, smoothly for them, right? Than than the amount of engagement or or awareness that is even that is even happening. And and add to that that we're all still you know dealing with the pandemic ourselves, right? So people are still unemployed. Folks may have housing crisis situations. So there's a lot going on, and it's a time when you can kind of push through a lot of things. So one, yep. you've got to get people folks are distracted. Folks are absolutely distracted. We've got to get people knowledgeable about what's happening. You can't have an opinion if you don't actually know and understand what's going on. Uh, the other thing is going to be when these public hearings are scheduled, making sure that folks show up, that they say what their views are. Um, you know, you have the opportunity now to call your council member. What is your view on this, on this legislation? What is your view on this ordinance? Where, what's your position? What are your thoughts? I mean, I think that's important for you to know for each of your council members because it's going to be different, right, for each of the council members. Um, and, and then, again, the last thing is going to be once, you got, once folks do have a position, they do have amendments that they want to see done, is organize to uh, raise the, 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 your voices, to uplift your voices, to get louder, right, about these things. Again, we want to look at policy as the opportunity to uh, improve and amend, right? We want to look at what are the opportunities, what are the challenges? How can we make this work well for the people, right? So if we know that if we know that council is generally in favor of any one of these particular pieces of legislation, right? Uh, what can we do to amend it? What are the recommendations we can make to make this work for us? But at the end of the day, that's what we want to try to do. So looking at breaking down all of these different pieces, I mean, there's parts of this that I couldn't even cover in the meeting with you all today, like what happens if city count, what happens if the planning commission sends a rejection, right? What, what if their recommendation is rejection? What happens at city council level? At the city council level, you then need at least seven votes to approve, to overturn a rejection, right? So there's so, oh, there's so many. That's a big one. 
there's so many details to this to this ordinance. Um, and I, I, you know, I again wrapping our heads around all those details, the stuff that like we're doing right here. This is the first step. This is the beginning. Yeah, we probably will at some point put in the in this chat when people usually come back later on in the evenings and tomorrow during the week to look at this. Maybe put those ordinances in so they could take a look at them. Definitely. Using this video to know, you know, kind of what to hone in on, maybe a little bit, a little bit tighter. So, Doctor, just Gary, and some of the other things you want to add? Yeah, you know, it reminds me of um, when President Obama was elected. We kind of we, we like went and celebrated. And it was like, then all of a sudden, like the house was gone and the Senate was gone. And, and what we didn't do was kind of make sure like our, like the, 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 the reason why we voted for them, the policies and position that we wanted, those are carried out. And so just echoing uh, what Felicity said that like, we have to be engaged. You know what I'm saying? Now, you know, if, if, if Ed Ganey wins, I'll, yeah, we're going, we're going to be happy and celebrate it. It will be historic, but. Unless we stay engaged politically with what's going on, um, then his agenda might not uh, um, uh, be carried out. Because you know who is engaged? These developers, these folks that want to make, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars off of our neighborhoods as we leave. Those folks are engaged. They're engaged. They're lobbying. They're conversating. They're making their relations. They're doing all Right. They're doing all that stuff. So we have to be engaged. We have to make sure that we are not only supporting these candidates, if we can, um, with donations, but also that we're making sure these policies, the reason why we elected them. We're not electing somebody just be because of how they look or because they have a gregarious attitude. No, we want changes in certain policies that benefits our communities. And if we want that, we have to be engaged. And I just appreciate you, Felicity, by being, you know, somebody that watches the things that a lot of us, you know, you start going in all that. Those stuff. I'm like, let me try to keep. I know. Not lose. Yeah. No, but thank you for that because then you could pass it on to us, and then we could, you know, talk, you know, sound that horn and sound that trumpet, which is one of the reasons why we have the platform that we have. Um, Dr. Fed. I said I, I was going to say similarly, like you said, we, if we, put in that work to elect Mr. Gainey. We also need to put in the work to make sure that he has the tools to fulfill his agenda while recognizing those who oppose that agenda and the work that they're doing and the work that's going to be required to remove them. I mean, there are people in city council who have, who oppose what he's trying to do. That's now my opposition. And we have to recognize it and call it out. And, you know, we continue to allow, you know, we have to we have to be more vigilant and you know just across all nine districts let's let them count where do you stand who's standing with us who's been consistently there with equity and justice the community benefits agreement not many so who are the new candidates that we find to put in these positions just because you want to run for council doesn't mean that you should but we need to find some candidates who are going to support this this more progressive agenda we don't have any right now. Lot, lot said here today. One other thing I want to add, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk about this in another show. Watch out for that one PGH, that kind of shadow government thing that is starting to be built up as well. There's some stuff being fed into there that it's a nonprofit 
but there is definitely that that that's an organization that we need to really be checking because you know there's some power being shifted into that that can make a difference in what's going on at the community level as well. Uh, this has been a great conversation, Felicity. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, I'm hoping people can get this in the bite-sized pieces that you chopped it up in. We know it's complex, y'all. We ain't dumb though. We can get this. We can look at it a couple times. We can understand it. We know how to pull the questions together for our, our city county counselors. What we need to do is do it. It's to challenge them. Don't let the complexity of this, you know, a lot of these words get thrown in for confusion's sake. And, and it, it, it seems so overwhelming that, you know, like we're not smart enough to figure it out. We are. And so, you know, use as much of this as you, as you want to talk to your counselor about what's happening and voice your concerns, you know, your support or your, you know, or not. You get to choose, but I, we want you to choose based on knowledge. You know, we editorialize to a certain extent, but we want you to choose based on knowledge. Felicity just straight gave you knowledge about what's happening. So please use that to make decisions. We are still very open to show ideas, guys, even though we've gone there every two weeks. Please feel free to kind of add on what you want to talk about next. We'll be back in two weeks. We'll be making some decisions about what we do next, but we still, you know, this is a community-based program around community-based needs, especially those things are impacting the Black community. So please share with us what you want to talk about, and we'll try to make sure that happens. So thanks, everybody, for a really great and informative show. You know, line up Absolutely. great feedback here. Um, anything coming up? Um, yeah. You want to talk about? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So today at four is the second uh, day of our education conference. Um, we'll be talking about real-life skills with students. Uh, Miracle will be doing the... Um, that the moderating, we have a conversation on Wednesday about critical race theory. We have a conversation on Thursday about the digital divide. And on Friday, we'll have our, our panel with our students that participated in our documentary, Student Voices PA. All of that will be right here at four o'clock every day. Um, and we have another big announcement coming up next week. You know, uh, we, we had a big announcement this week. You know, shout out to, yeah. to Jordan. I, I bought my first pair of Jordans. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we appreciate the support from, uh, from, from, uh, Michael Jordan. He's being modest, Jordan. He just got a nice little chunk of change from his <laughs> organization. Let's go ahead. Really but, but it was not, I, I, I know, but please read closely. It was not a million dollars. A million dollars was divided between 18 organizations. Please. Oh, wow. Carefully. We did not get a million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> we were one of 18 or but we were you know we were the one of one of the inaugural you know, this was the first time he's given grants community organization but we're one of 18 right right and so just want That's to make cool. it clear we're not we not bought <laughs> <No problem. laughs> like you didn't run out and buy a pair of jordans <laughs> but i think hey bro I'll play, push, play, push, hit on those Jordans. So I do have my, I have two pairs of Jordans now um, <laughs> that I never, I never had, but that was big, that was a big announcement coming up next week. Um, so, just, you know, tune in to us next Monday. We have another big announcement. So we just trying to continue to, you know, uh, uh, keep the pressure on And if you missed the mayoral debate yesterday that happened on One Hood Power, go to One Hood Power's Facebook page or YouTube or go to One Hood Media, Facebook and YouTube, and you can check the debate that happened last night. If people want to participate in the educational conference, how do they do that? You just tune in right here. You can just stay on Facebook until four o'clock. Okay. Four o'clock. You, you can kind of get into know how to do it. 
because Facebook was down yesterday, our conversation from yesterday just went up this morning. So okay. I participated in a conversation around mental health with Dr. Amy Alexander from Penn Hills, Dr. Toya Jones from the University of Pittsburgh, and uh, um, Bethany from Stone Farms Foundation. So that's on our site right now. But, you know, I don't know what we was doing yesterday, but Mercury was in retrograde. Facebook and Instagram was down, and we didn't know. We was all on Twitter, I guess. It was kind it of It was wild. I was on Twitter. I was like, hey, what the hell's going on? All right. You want to take down the student loans? Take down the student loans. Take down the student loans. All about it. All right. Thanks, guys, for, for a great show. We will see everybody in two weeks.